Thanks for listening to the podcast today. This is Daniel Hood. Just wanted to let you know that today was the last week of our four-week series, and we wrapped it up by our people pledging what they're going to give towards this For the City vision in 2019. If you are a regular attender of Hill City or a covenant member and you weren't here this Sunday, we would invite you to still give your pledge of what you'll give towards this project in 2019. Uh, to do that, you can email our executive pastor, Michael Robinson. It's michael at hillcitysgf.org. And he will take your pledge and we'll add it together. And that helps us plan for the future um, over the next few months as we know what people are going to give. So we would invite you to do that. Thank you for listening to the sermon today. We pray the Lord blesses you through it. Let's jump into scripture. Peyton's going to read it for us. Hi, I'm Peyton, and I'm reading scripture today. We'll be in Jeremiah. <laughs> Happy birthday, apparently. Yeah. Thank you. We'll be in Jeremiah 29, <laughs> verses 4 through 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Thanks, Peyton. So, good morning. We are in a fourth week of a series that we've been doing together. If you're a guest with us today, you kind of jumped in the end of something we've been doing as a body. And that is this, uh, six months ago, something like that, we had property, we had the money for property donated to us. Uh, Hill City Church bought the old ball of insulation property, Kansas Expressway, or sorry, Chestnut Expressway and Trafficway right there. Bought it. And now there's a building on there that needs to go. At least part of the building needs to go because it's unusable. And so we have a goal over the next few years of, of building a permanent facility on that location that we're calling For the City Center. It's a, it's a building for Hill City Church, but also a building that meets the needs in the city. Our first step is we have to clear that land. The price that we need to raise is $300,000 between now and January of this year. And so what we'll be doing today, when you came in, you got commitment cards. If you didn't get one, you can run outside in the atrium and get one. That is for those of us that are part of Hill City. Guest, if you're here, this is not for you. Now, if you want to give, you're more than welcome to, but we don't intend you for you to. This is for Hill City Church people. Um, you have commitment cards, and we're going to ask you, Brad's going to do this at the end today. We're going to ask you in a little bit during communion to commit to what you'll give over the next nine months towards this first step of clearing the land. It's our, our initiative to get this thing going. We're going to commit to this today. And so this is the fourth week of a series we call For the Joy. There's four weeks. And the first week we said this, for the joy, for our joy, God calls us to live for his glory, that you living passionately for the glory of God and your joy are tied together. God doesn't call you to do something just to watch you suffer. Actually, those two work hand in hand. As you live the life God's called you to live, your joy follows. Week two, we talked about the church, right? We looked at 1 
Peter, and I challenged you that for the joy, God gives you a local body, a local church to plug into, to grow, to serve, to get to know people, to be equipped, and the body is for your joy. I challenged you that Sunday, don't date the church. Don't show up at this church for a while and then show up at this church and hop around, like get plugged in and love and serve, that you have a purpose here. Okay, week three, we talked about for the joy, God calls us to live generous lives. And we, we asked the question, like, does, does joy, and gener- joy and generosity, do those two work together? Do they go together? Because on the surface, they may seem, no, they don't work. But actually, I argue they do, and I'm learning that they do. Okay, and so this week, for the joy of others, God calls us to live. If you're a believer in here, if you're a Christ follower, God calls you to live, not just for your own joy and your own needs, but for the joy of others. But just like every single week we find when we live for the joy of others, there's a joy, a flourishing that comes upon us. And that's what we're gonna look at today. There's two scriptures, we're gonna look Old Testament first and we'll jump New Testament. But I wanted to acknowledge this morning, again, this is the last, step, last week of this journey, we're gonna take commitments cards as we move forward. I want us to, to acknowledge as a church that this vision is risky. You with me? Like for a church our age, two and a half years, to jump into a project like this, to start working towards, there is risk involved. But as a posture, here's what we know as leaders, we are not going to sit back and just do church. We are going to step into risk, step into what God is doing. Like here's the reality, it would be easy as leaders for us to be like, two and a half years, we've been working. We've got like, I don't know, six, 700 people that come on a Sunday. Guys, we made it. We're here. We can meet every week, sing some songs. We don't, have, we don't believe that's what the Lord has for us. That'd be easy to do. I know how to do that. I've been doing ministry for a long time. I know how to do youth ministry. I know how to do college ministry. I know how to do a service. Like, that'd be so easy. But we just feel compelled by the Lord to keep stepping into how does Hill City Church become a church that blesses this city and multiplies throughout this region and the world. And we're going to continue stepping forward in that. Are we... 100% sure that God's going to provide everything and that we know exactly what we're doing? Nope. If you are, please come up. You're a prophet and you have a direct word from God and we need to hear it. We don't. None of us have heard this voice. We've seen a vision. Oh, this. But as we've read, researched, prayed, thought, wrestled, we believe this is the next step. We're going to move forward. And so this is the last week of this series kind of setting up the why of what we're doing. For the joy, God calls us to live for the joy of others. Jeremiah 29, let's look at it. Let me set up the passage. So Israel has been conquered by a nation called Babylon. Babylon came to Israel, tore down, made a mess of the, ruined the temple, took most of the population, much of the population back from Israel, took them to Babylon. And they, they especially took the skilled artists, the craftsmen, the thinkers, the, the, the people that had great capacity, they took them from Israel to Babylon. And so now you have a group of Israelites, a big chunk of them, that are living as exiles in Babylon. And what happened is they moved, they, when they were taken to Babylon, all the Israelites settled in this one little area, kind of on the outside of the city by a river. They had to be there. They were a conquered nation, but they kind of settled in one spot. And God sends word to them through the prophet Jeremiah, that he doesn't want them to settle on the outside. 
He actually has a different word for them. Let's look at it. Verse four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent in the exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now pause. Did you notice something in that first verse? Why are they exiles? Because Babylon came and got them? Did you see it? Because God sent them there. Part of God's plan for them, for their good, for the good of the nation as a whole, for Jesus to come, was that they would be exiles for a season. And God acknowledges, hey, I sent you there. Here's what he tells them. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So where they had come to Babylon and lived on the edge of the river, probably in little tents, thinking and praying, God, you've got you've to deliver us. We want to go home. You've got to kill these Babylonians. And we're going to stay and we're going to remove ourselves and we're just going to sit back, God, and watch you destroy them. God says, no, actually I have a different idea. We're not going to live in tents on the outside of a city by a river and just watch. Here's what he tells them to do. Live. Not on the outside. Where? In the city. Live. Build houses. Plant gardens. Have children. Multiply. Flourish. Now, can you imagine the shock of this? Right? Because when God says plant a house, or plant a house, build a house, what's that mean? I'm going to be there for a while. See, God's telling them, hey, Israel, I'm not going to come in with some David-like leader that's going to come and kick Babylonians' butt and take you back. No, you're going to be there for a while. And while you are there, I have something for you to do. You ready? Live there. Live in the city. Grow there. Take part in society. Live your lives there. Live and not withdraw. See, it's easy for Christians, Christians to withdraw. Like you can be in Springfield and your whole life is surrounded by a Christian bubble. You can go to Christian coffee houses and Christian restaurants, Christian chicken. That's Chick-fil-A if you weren't aware of that. Okay? Hang out with Christian... Like, the, 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 we all feel it, this idea, well, I, can just, I can just be with my people. And I think God's pressing against them saying, no, don't just withdraw, live. Go live in the city. Now, how do we live? Let's keep going, verse seven. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So he's challenging them on how they operate as exiles in this place of Babylon. They're not to sit on the outside and completely remove themselves and just sit back and watch and pray that God's going to go destroy Babylon. What's he telling them? No, you go live there. And as a matter of fact, as you live, live in such a way that the community that you're in flourishes. Here's how, what I call it. Humble service. 
Live humbly, with humility, serve. Live in such a way that the people that have taken you to exile actually flourish. Now, this sounds simple, but can you put yourself in their shoes? So let's say that Canada amasses a huge army. And they come down from Canada to Springfield, Missouri, because that's the center of all influence in America, right? And they take a bunch of us and they haul us up to Canada in the middle of winter. Feel about like today out there, right? They haul us up there and they now are we're, we're, we're exiles. We're under their control, and they make us eat maple syrup on everything. And they make us say, aboot. And they try to influence their culture on you, and, and you're up there, and, and here's what you're thinking, God. These evil Canadians, like, I am so sick of maple syrup. Like, I want biscuits and gravy, not biscuits and maple syrup. God, kill them. God, give me vengeance. God, deliver me. And God says, no, as a matter of fact, I want you to go build a house there. And I want you to go serve humbly there in a way that actually Canada flourishes. What? Are you kidding me, God? But I love this about the Lord because he doesn't say, hey, do that and like it. No, what's he say? Go serve in a way that they flourish. And what happens is they flourish. You guys read it? You flourish. That goes back to this for the joy thing. And this is the cool thing about God. Everything that God has asked us to do, even when it seems on the surface like it is a sacrifice and it hurts, leads to our flourishing. For your flourishing, seek the flourishing of the city. Humble service. Verse eight, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners, diviners are people that try to interpret ideas of what God's saying and, and um, use spiritual stuff to do it. Don't, don't let them deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So here's what God tells them. You're going to have people come and say, no, God doesn't call us to do this. We need to, we need to revolt. We need to fight. And he's like, no, don't listen to them. Later on in Jeremiah, he'll, he'll warn them, hey, when you're in Babylon, they have a lot of pagan practices. Don't take those. Go live in the city. Go work there. Go eat there. Go. But don't, don't just buy into all of their ideas as a culture. Here's what he tells them, I think. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Stay faithful to your God. Stay faithful to the covenant in which we have. So your exiles, living in a, in a, in a nation, living in a place you don't want to be, be, don't separate yourselves. Live. As you live, be people that are marked by humble service. Live in a way that the people around you, the community flourishes. As a matter of fact, you're going to flourish when that happens. And as you do this, stay faithful. Stay faithful. Don't take on their practices. Don't listen to crazy people amongst you. They're going to tell you, no, stay faithful to the Lord. Okay, great. Hood, Israel, Jeremiah, what in the heck does this have to do with us? I'm not Old Testament Israelite. You're right. You're a New Testament Christian. Let's go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. 
Okay, because Israel was meant to be God's representatives to the world, to show the world who God was. As a whole, they failed. And, and when Jesus comes, he, he institutes this thing called the church. And now the church is God, or God's representative to the world to show God or, or show the world who God is. And so Peter's writing to a group of Christians that first century are being tortured for their faith. They're being killed. They're like all, all kinds of terrible things are happening to them. And he writes them in 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at the first part of this. He tells them that they are spiritual bricks. You guys remember this? Spiritual bricks built on this cornerstone of Christ and these bricks come together. The church makes this beautiful home. That's, it gives them this analogy. So he helps instruct them on what it looks like to be gathered together. But then here's what he's gonna do. He's gonna teach them, instruct them, what does it look like not just to be gathered together as a church, but actually to be scattered, to, to live in such a way that the, the world around you is blessed. Here's what he tells them, 1 Peter 2, 11. See if you recognize this language. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and, what is it? Exiles, same thing. To abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. He acknowledges them, hey, listen, you're exiles. Now, some of them literally were exiles. They've been forced from their home because they're Christians. They've been scattered all throughout Greece. Some of them were in their homes. Here's what he's teaching us. Okay, an exile is someone that's, that's displaced, in a place that's not their home. If you're a Christian, you're an exile. You ever thought about that? Your, your identity is one that's in exile. Here's what I mean by that. Like we have a home here, but this home is ultimately not our home, right? We, okay, thank you, thank you in the back. Right, we, I need Teresa here. She's not here to help me out today. We, like we have a home here, but this world is not our home. Actually, the Bible says what will happen is Jesus is going to come back. He's going to kick Satan's butt, redo this thing, restore it to its original glory, and that's our home. So you are living in this in-between where you're home, but you're not home. You know what that is? Exile, sojourner. And he tells them, beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Stay faithful. In Hill City, we talk about it all the time, as exiles, as you're living this life, keep pursuing the Lord in faithfulness. Keep waging war against the passions of your flesh that would drive you away from him. Keep confessing, keep repenting, it's beautiful. Like here's the deal, confession should never be this sorrowful thing. It should actually be a joyful thing. Because as we confess, we remind ourselves, I'm already forgiven as I confess. Stay faithful as exiles. Verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God, glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, I want you to see something. He says... Keep your conduct honorable, like live in such a way that if people speak against you, nope, what to say? When? Can I promise you something? If you step into ministry as the Lord has called you, people will speak against you. Some of those people will be Christians. Actually, Christians have a bigger bite sometimes. Something about 
Christians sometimes, we love to kick a brother while he's down. I love as he reminds them, listen, as exiles, as you begin to live in such a way for the joy of others, people will speak against you. They will. They'll say awful things about you. They won't understand. Like, here's the reality, guys. Right now, as the world looks at you, they think you're fools. You got up on a snowy April morning to come to church, to listen to a guy preach, to then be invited to come and give your money away. What are you thinking? That's what, that's what people think. I love the song we sing, right? I'm one of those, and the world thinks I'm, like, the world thinks I'm foolish. And that's what Peter acknowledges. Yeah, they do. He says, live in such a way so when they speak against you as evildoers, listen to this, they may see your good deeds and actually be like, wait a second, they're not idiots. Glorify God on the day of visitation. Here's what Peter tells him. Stay faithful to your God. Live in such a way of humble service that when people see you, they will speak against you. They will be like, this, that guy's an idiot. But some of them, over time, We'll look back and say, okay, maybe there's something here. Like the way business people, people that work, is the way you go into your office and the way when like everyone else is freaking out, oh my gosh, our stocks did this or the company's falling apart, that you just have this calm, like, all right, yeah, that stinks, but let's keep working. Or the way you go into work and you see your coworker there and you can tell something's going on and, and, and everyone else is like, I'm not dealing with that. But when you come up and say, hey, like, you want to talk? That people would see that and they, they would say, okay, there is something, there's something different here. There's something different. Now, this does not mean you go to your workplace and be the spiritual referee. Bless their heart. Bless their heart. I got I to start it with this. A few years ago, I was doing a sermon like this, calling people to go into their workplace and to make disciples. And I had this person come to me afterwards and they said, hey, I've got this cool story I wanna hear. Okay, all right, tell me. Well, a couple of years ago, I started working at, at my company. When I got there, everyone, like they just cuss like crazy all, of, all the time. But now, like no one hardly ever cusses. You know what I wanna do? I didn't, I was gracious. The goal is not changing morality in your workplace. The goal is loving people sacrificially as Christ's love. I don't care if your work cusses. Here's what Peter's telling them. Live in such a way as exiles. Stay faithful. This humble service that when people look at you, they're in awe that there's something different. Jesus will say it like this. You are the light of the world in Matthew. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Man, that would make a great name for a church right there, that verse. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Here's how Jesus tells the disciples, hey, live in such a way, kind of like a hill on a city, city on a hill, where people see that, and they say, man, there's something different. And what happens, they don't give you glory. They're like, man, there must be something deeper motivating that person. Like as we sat three years ago in downtown Springfield, a little restaurant, just praying and, and trying to get a vision for what Hill City, Hill City Church looked like. This was the verse that we were wrestling with. And this is the verse where our name came from. How do we plant a church in a city that does more than just meet together 
once a week. It blesses the city in tangible way. And that was really the beginning of this for the city vision before we even ever had a name for it. It says, live as people who are humbly serving in your city. Now, remember, he's writing to exiles. And he's writing to people that are going through things that you and I have never experienced. If you want to do a little research, research the Colosseum in Rome and what was happening to Christians at this time. Because if you're a Christian, you're on a very short list to find yourself in the Colosseum, not up in the seats, on the floor, where they would bring you down and they would let loose a pack of lions that had, never, that had not eaten in two weeks and everyone would cheer as those lions devoured you. That's our brothers and sisters. That was their lot. Or they would take a hot iron chair, they would heat it up till it was red hot and they would bring a Christian out and place him on the chair. I've been there, Colosseum in Rome. Anyone been there? That's what they did. Peter's writing to people who are watching their friends do get this treatment. Listen to what he tells them and may this, let this blow your mind, what God tells them. Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor, the one who's doing this, as supreme, or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You hear that? By doing good, by humble service, people are silenced. Live as people who are free. I love that. Live. Live as people who are free, like live your lives as free people, not with this fear of what Rome's gonna do. No, live as free people. Not using your freedoms to cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Guys, can you imagine watching your pastors get drug out of here and executed? and then being told by God, hey, honor the country that did it to him. Tough stuff. God, writing through Peter to a people living through terrible times, saying, as exiles, live. Live for the flourishing, build houses, plant gardens, don't, don't be afraid. Be humble, be servants. Stay faithful to your God. And this, I want you to hear me on this, guys, and this is a perfect point for naming at the end of this, by the way. I'll just, I'll just give you the softball here. The single, the single focus of Christians living passionately for the glory of God despite circumstances is the very thing that has shocked the unbelieving world for centuries. It is. Like, it is the thing that has marked Christianity that has caused people to sit back and say, what is this? Because it's a, it's, a, it's a religion, it's a, it's a movement. Now, I know we've had our dark days at times. Not characterized by destruction of what we can do to other people, but actually characterized by the way we would lay down our lives for other people. And it has shocked the unbelieving world. Let me give you a couple of, of references. These are, these are from old writings. This is not in the Bible. These are just writings from the first couple hundred years of Christianity. Here's, here's, a, here's something by uh, the Roman emperor... Julian in 323. So this is the Roman emperor, the one that's killing a lot of these Christians. He writes this. 
atheism, what do you think he means by atheism? Christianity. He doesn't believe it. He thinks it's a, he thinks it's a, a, a terrible cult religion. Atheism has been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial, burial of the dead. It is a scandal. There is not a single Jew that is a beggar. Like he's frustrated at these Christians because it's spreading and he can't stop it. And he's writing to someone, he said, it is a scandal that there is not a single Jew that's a beggar and the godless Galileans, these are Galilean Christians, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. He's writing to someone, he's frustrated about this pagan religion called Christianity. And he said, here's the problem with them. They take care of everyone. They serve everyone. As a matter of fact, our own people are being served by them. And they're looking at us saying, why don't you serve like these Christians? And he's frustrated at them. Like this is the thing that has shocked the unbelieving world as Christians living their lives in a culture, humble service and staying faithful to their God. By the way, most of the people that were brought in the Colosseum to be executed came in singing and smiling and rejoicing and praying. Not crouching in fear. And it shocked people. Here's another um, writing from history. This is 130 AD, so about 130 years after Jesus. They, Here's what he says, this epithel of Mathetus to Diagnatus, which I'm sure I perfectly mispronounced that. They, Christians, live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. I love that. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven. Even he recognizes this idea of exile. Obedient to the laws, Yet they live on a level that transcends the law. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. Condemned because they are not understood, they are put to death, but raised to life again. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They are totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor, but that is their glory. They are defamed, but vindicated. A blessing is their answer to abuse. Difference, their response to insult. For the good they, they do, they receive the punishment of malefactors, but even then they rejoice as though re receiving the gift of life. They're attacked by the Jews as aliens. Remember, many of the Jews didn't like Christianity. They're persecuted by the Greeks, yet no one can explain the reason for this hatred. The unbelieving world is shocked as Christians live like this. Hear me, Hill City Church. Springfield will not be impressed by our building. There are many church buildings here and a lot bigger ones than we can build. They're not gonna be impressed by that. They're not gonna be impressed by our light show, our cool music, although that first song was stinking awesome this morning. They're going to be impressed and awed and, point to, and be pointed to God by the way we live our lives in the city, not retreating as humble servants, yet remain faithful. That's what will transform this city. At the heart of this vision for us, this for the city vision, is trying to wrestle through as a, as a corporate body, 
How do we do this? How do we do it? Like I said, this is, this is a tough part of this vision. Like I know how to do church. How do we do this? And so we're taking steps forward. Part of that's this facility. Part of that is we have challenged you. If you've been here the past few weeks, if you're Hill City Church, we've challenged you one time in 2019, we're gonna call you to serve in the city somewhere. One time. Hey, there's a, there's a website on our, on our website. If you go to the serve tab and click serve the city, there's lots of easy opportunities for you to get involved in. We're gonna challenge you if you're Hill City Church, students, singles, marrieds, everyone, one time in 2019 to serve in our city because we're trying to learn together what does it look like for us to live like this and live in a way that we actually help our city flourish. And we're challenging you to do that. So here's what we're doing. Our goal is 300 people over 2019. So for every single week when you come in, there'll be these little cards. They're called story cards. They're gonna be at the, at the connections table every single week for the next nine months. When you serve in the city, okay, and some of you already are, and I'm gonna have you go get one of these in the next week or two and fill this out. Here's what it says, name. So you put your name. How many in your household? Okay, so if it's just you, just I'm one, but if it's me, it'd be four. My wife and I and two kids. Where did you serve? And that's where you're gonna list where you, what you did in the city. I served at this nonprofit. I went and did it, like you're just gonna list where you served. Then on the back, it's optional. It's like a story. Hey, tell a story, like what happened? Over the next nine months, we're gonna challenge you when you serve to, to fill out one of these and drop it off. And we're gonna to start to tell some of these stories and we're gonna track this. Our goal is 300. Here's the reality, someone could donate uh, $5 million today. I think Jake was gonna do that when I preached a few weeks ago, right? Jake, you here? Okay, he must be getting, trying to make money out there. We will not move forward on this vision with all the money we have until we get some legs underneath this part of it. Because our goal is not just a building, it's serving in the city. Okay, so that every week that'll be out there. Connections table, fill it out, drop it in the offering box at some point. We're gonna tell your story, we're gonna start to measure that. How do we live? In our city, not separated from our city, as humble servants, staying faithful to the Lord. We believe that's what God's called us to live, how he's called us to live. Now, two weeks ago, I was doing this sermon on the church and I was talking about, you know, just the, the beauty of the church and connecting and serving the church. And I got a great email from one of our, one of our moms. And I, I'm actually gonna read it here. It's a little long, but I think it's wonderful because it helps unpack what many of us are feeling. So like, we talk about serving the church and being connected to church, being a city group, and now we talk about like serving other people and being in the city. Anyone feel overwhelmed at times? Okay, just me, I'm the only. Now, like some of you, like you're crazy busy. Now college students, I love you, you ain't busy. Oh yeah, well, I'm telling you, wait till you <laughs> one of my favorite things are college students go get jobs like, okay, you're right. <laughs> I'm not, I wasn't busy. Like we have folks here, like married, two, three, four, six kids, trying to find time to love them and serve them and serve in the church and serve in the city. And, and we can hear this vision and this can be just like, oh my gosh, how do I do this? Let me read her letter because this is what she talks about. She says, hey, my husband and I were talking, wanted to get your thoughts on something. She says, I grew up in church. I felt like I was expected to be there every time the doors opened. Anyone else? That was you? 
Guys, you gotta, you're killing me. You're so quiet today. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, I had multiple responsibilities. She says, I felt it was my job. I began to feel like I was there to work, not to grow. And looking back, she says, I think there was the very start of some resentment of God and the walk with him in my life. She says this, we don't want to be the, the quote, fly on the wall. Uh, you know, the one that's been stuck to the window screen for so long, it becomes unclear whether it's dead or alive. I love that one. It's like, is that thing there? Says, but we feel... Like we are that right now. We're involved in a city group and enjoy it. And we want to take a step in serving, but it's hard. Here's what she says. I find myself putting on the brakes for multiple reasons. One being fear of becoming so involved in a church that it becomes a chore and a job and dread it. Number two, we have two little kids who need us. And this is where all the mom guilt comes into play. Moms, you there? Yeah. The mom guilt comes to play. We both work and sometimes he's out working in the nights and the weekends and she says, I struggle already, only having a couple hours in the evening with my kids. Like, how do I do this? She says about her kids, I want them to enjoy going to church. I want them to observe and even experience serving themselves as they grow older. But I'm also very protective and selfish in my free time to spend with them. The thought of losing more of that time to serve has me digging in my heels deep. The thought of us committing to something small and then it gradually becoming more and more of a commitment has, like, it scares us. It says, I'm not sure if I use this as an excuse or it's just a stage of life that we're in. It says, but I feel as I'm being nudged, I always want to put on the brakes. So she says, how do you find time to do it all? Anyone wrestle with that one? In my head, it just seems so overwhelming thinking about serving in the church, serving the community, working full time, being a parent, and still finding time to grow in my walk with God. Literally not, not enough hours in the day. Anyone else say amen here? Yes. Here's why I'm sharing that. I think she does a great job, hopefully saying what a lot of us are thinking. Because here's what I love about her. She's wrestling through this. It's not, now nah, we're not going to serve. We don't care. It's like, no, we want to, but how? How in the midst of all of this are we to do this? I wrote her back and said, you got to give me a few days to think about this because I wasn't going to just like give her some, some John 3.16, here you go. <laughs> and I sent her back a few ideas of how they might slowly start to work some things in their life, and that may not mean every week. It may mean once a month. I, I said, man, have a college kid come to your house and disciple them after your kids go to bed. Like, that's a good way. Um, I gave her some ideas here, but, but I, I wanted, there was a chart that I learned. It's in tic-tac-toe. Um, there's a chart that I, I got exposed to I mean, a year or two ago that I think is very helpful. As we talk about being for the city and meeting the needs of the city, serving the city, I don't want some of you to be so overwhelmed that you sit back and you're like, I can't do any of this. I'm not going to try. This made a lot of sense to me. I hope it will help you. So if we look at Scripture, New Testament and look as Christians, like what does it look like for us to humbly serve in our city and what, what are we supposed to do? And we can make a list of 20 things, but let me narrow it down to a few things. That we're supposed to love our neighbor. Okay? Love your neighbors. Who's your neighbor? Yes. One another, your literal neighbor, your office coworker, the person you don't like, 
We're supposed to love those around us, serve those around us. That would include church, city, business, whatever. Okay? We're also supposed to serve the needy, the poor. All kinds of New Testament scriptures about taking care of the poor, serving the poor. Remember, this is one of the frustrating things for this Roman general or this Roman uh, leader is that all the poor were taken care of. Like we're supposed to serve the poor and take care of the poor. And then we're also supposed to go to the nations. Go make disciples of all nations. And so go to Italy and go to Europe and go to Asia and Africa and preach the gospel to the nations. Now, it's easy to sit back at this as a Christian and be like, how? Anyone feel it? How do I do this? Okay, I'm going to go love my neighbor. Okay, so I'm going to go mix my neighbor. And this, but now I see a homeless person. Okay, now I go over here. Oh, what a, man, we just did a missions thing. And Giacomo said he needs help. Oh, what do I do? Well, you don't do it all. That's what you do. So let me give you another way to think about this. This is us. This is the actions over here. God calls us to go. Go, love your neighbors. Go, serve the poor. Go to the nations. Now, in order for there people, in order for there to be people that go, guess what we have to have? People that send. This would be financially. This would be doing things at home so that someone can go serve. So I go on a mission trip for a week and a half. Emily's sending me there because she's staying home. Or her and I go and we just get my mom to be there and stay, leave her at home. Ascending part of it. Okay? In order for people to go on mission trips, in order for people to go do ministry, we got to have money. Some of you are senders financially. Now, we can have senders and people that go, but if we don't equip them, they're going to go make a mess of things. So we need equippers. Here's the cool thing about the church. I don't believe God is calling every single one of you to go all the time to your neighbor, to the needy, and the nations. You can't. Now, right down here in the front, you guys are the best people to go here. You know why? If you get called to go to Italy to work with Giacomo, the only thing you got to do to be ready is go sell your mountain bike because that's all you have. But I take Michael and Leah Shrimpton and say, hey, you're going to the nations. <laughs> we got jobs, we got a house, we got, right? It's a different conversation. Now, does that mean Michael and Leah Shrimpton don't have to ever go anywhere? No, it doesn't. Now, down front, you guys are not great senders. You know why? You ain't got no money. Now, does that mean, well, sweet, I don't have to give. No. So here's what we can't do. We can't say, well, I'm a, I'm a college student. I've got a lot of time, so I'm just going to go serve the poor in Springfield. That's all I'm going to do. Yeah, you guys pay for me. <laughs> no. Like, we should have a few other checks here few other X's in these boxes. We need some equippers. Like as we mobilize people into the city to serve their neighbors, go to the nations, 
We need people that can disciple these people. Because sending a 20-year-old with a lot of passion to the nations with some money is really dangerous without equipping. Really dangerous. So here's what we could do. Is I could take this whole congregation here. And I could have each one of us come up, and this first half doesn't know what these are, but in the back half we do. Remember those things in the old days called like transparency thing, the projectors? I, I led worship with this back in the day. I'd have my guitar and we would have someone that would come up and when the song was ready to switch and put a new transparency on there so everyone could sing it. This was before PowerPoint came out, okay? Called him my minister of transparencies. That's what I called him. Uh, here's what we could do. I could take one of those old school projectors and I could put on it, my name, and here's the deal, like, because I'm a pastor, I have a few, probably a few more check marks in some of these than many of you, because I have some more time, like, especially on the go part and sending and equipping, but I could take some of you, and, and um, so let's, let's say this, we have some moms here who have two, three, four, ten kids, and the reality of them being goers here in this season of life will be very difficult. Now again, should they try to find some time to do that? Some, yes. But you know what many of these moms are? Well, for one, they're equippers of their children. They're making disciples. Number two, many of these moms are senders because here's the reality. Many of these moms are staying home and watching kids to allow their husbands late at night to go meet with people and serve and go on trips and go. They're senders. Now on the flip side, we have a lot of moms that spend a lot of hours volunteering at this church in the city. You know why they can do that? Because their husbands have really good jobs and they don't have to work. And when their kids get in school, they have free time. And so their husbands now are senders. So here's the reality. We have a guy here that owns a business that has 70 employees. I'm not gonna get on to him when he comes to Hill Street Church and be like, how come you're not serving 20 hours a week at our church? He doesn't have the capacity for that. But he's a great sender. I'd love for him to jump into some equipping. I'd love for him to, to learn a little bit on the going. Here's a, here's a cool thing in our setup team. We have a, so a few people that are some guys that make really good money and they get here every three weeks, just an hour before and help set up. Like literally wipe, on their hands and knees, wiping down baby furniture, baby chairs, kids chairs. They don't need to do that. They could just sit back and write checks, but they're trying to be involved. Like here's the beauty of the local church. We take all these transparencies and we just put them on. Yours and yours and yours and yours and we stack them up. You know what happens? Right there. That's what happens. All the boxes are checked. So may you not today, as we cast vision about being for the city, may not, you not hear this and be like, gosh, Hood, you're killing me. I don't even know where to start. May you look back and ask yourself this. Based on the word of the Lord, the season of life, how can I live in a city for the flourishing of that city? How can I be a humble servant there and stay faithful to the Lord? What does my capacity look like? Brad's going to speak on this in two weeks. He'll unpack this some more. This can be a great resource for you to think through what this looks like. At the heart of this vision, we believe the Lord has called us to be for the city, for the flourishing of this city. And that ultimately that flourishing will lead to our joy.